Good evening, everyone. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, during this series, and we're, we're now in the week six, one of the, uh, the key things or the, the key realities that we have been discovering is that God doesn't always do what people imagine or what people expect. And in fact, God is more likely to do the unlikely or the unexpected or the unpredictable. And so, for example, who could have foreseen that God would ask Abraham to sacrifice his kind of promised, long-awaited miracle son? Or who could have thought that, that God would destroy and wipe out an entire city, including kids? Or who would have thought that God would use an on-the-run murderer with a speech impediment to be his spokesperson and to rescue his people from Egypt? Who would have thought that God would give Satan permission to wreck Job's life? Who would have thought God would instruct one of his prophets to marry a promiscuous woman who was going to be promiscuous? And you could just go on and on, example after Example, you see, God is full of surprises. And yet we know and we, we, we sing about the fact, and we, we have sung about the fact that God's unchanging in his nature and in his character and in his purposes. And so, for example, in Hebrews 13, he's described, and we know this, as the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and James makes it clear that God does not change like shifting shadows. Or back in Deuteronomy, God's described as this faithful rock. And so the question is, which is it? Is God consistent? Or is he unpredictable? Well, actually, it's both. And so that takes us to tonight's paradox, the God who is consistently unpredictable. Now, it's so important that we get this. I'll explain why. Unless we acknowledge that God has a habit of breaking out of our boxes, the kind of boxes that we squeeze him into culturally, politically, theologically, and personally, unless we acknowledge that God isn't adverse to blindsiding us, he's not adverse to catching us off guard, and unless we realize that he doesn't always do what we expect or what we want, then what's going to happen is we're probably going to find ourselves disoriented at the times. We're going to discover that our faith is not resilient or it's not robust enough to cope with the surprises or to handle with the consistent unpredictability of God. I've already referred to the surprises that we encounter with Abraham, with Joshua, with Moses, with Job, with Hosea, but the Bible's full of them. For example, no one expected Jesus to turn up the way he did how he did, even where he did, even though people had been waiting for him for years. Some people had an inkling, but totally unexpected in many ways. Nobody expected him, when he came, to behave the way he did, to talk to women, to talk to children, to eat with sinners, to eat with people of ill repute, to spend time with prostitutes, tax collectors. No one expected that. No one expected the Messiah to be rejected by his own people. 
even his choice of 12 initial followers, totally unexpected. Why Judas? Why Peter? Why the sons of thunder? Why any of them? And this theme kind of continues right throughout Scripture and will do right to the end because we all know that Jesus is going to return like what? Like a thief in the night, totally unexpectedly. So God is full of surprises. He's consistently unpredictable. To pick up on the C.S. Lewis idea of God from the Chronicles of Narnia, God isn't safe. It's not. And so we won't always get, as Stephen prayed, we won't always get or understand what God is doing or what he's not doing. We can't always second guess God, assume anything. And that can be unsettling. That can be frustrating. Because at one level we're we're called to cast all our anxieties in his direction. We're, We're told to be, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. And yet... That's so hard whenever God's unpredictable. That's tricky whenever you read Scripture and you see that in most people's lives, in the lives of those he loves, God consistently surprises them. And as we look at this a bit closer, I want to I take us to Habakkuk's story. Because he was someone who appeared to wrestle with this kind of paradoxical trait in God's character. Habakkuk learned the hard way that you can't predict God, you can't box God, you can't restrict God. Habakkuk realized that as a result of what he knew of God, God just kept surprising him. But as he wrestled with that, he developed a sense of what someone has described as an anti-fragile faith. And if you remember nothing else and you take no other comment I make tonight with you, remember that two-word phrase, anti-fragile faith. This is what, what Habakkuk developed. A faith that was resilient even though it wondered, what are you at, God? What are you doing? A faith that remained intact even though it was stretched because he didn't appreciate. He didn't appreciate what God was at. He didn't like it. And so if you have a Bible or would like to follow the story, and I know some of you are already there, if you want to turn to Habakkuk chapter 1, it's page 940. And as you're looking that up or looking up your phone, let me me set the scene. Habakkuk lived in, in dangerous and difficult times. The kind of once great Assyrian empire had swept away the northern kingdom of Israel. But that particular empire's influence has begun to slide. And as it declined, neighboring Babylon was on the rise. Nebuchadnezzar, already heard reference to him this evening. He was the new king and he had started kind of picking off former Syrian strongholds. Judah, the southern kingdom, had kind of survived thus far, but it was only a matter of time. And life in the promised land wasn't good. There There was trouble in paradise. The people of God were in a kind of spiritual free fall, primarily because they had decided to do their own thing, decided to compromise their faith left, right, and center. 
And despite many prophetic warnings, God's chosen people had chosen to ignore God. And therefore, injustice was rife, wrongdoing was rife, the place was a mess. And Habakkuk looked on. And as he looked on, he found himself in complete despair. He just didn't get it. He just didn't understand what was going on. And therefore, he turned to God and he opened his heart and he expressed his complaint. And it, it was a complaint. And therefore, in some of your Bibles, you'll see at the top of this particular first, it'll say Habakkuk's first complaint. And here it is. First three verses of his prophecy. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Or I cry out to you violence, but you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing, God? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Now, that's not normal for Old Testament prophets. You see, usually we find them telling people what God has told them, but not Habakkuk, not Habakkuk. He pours his heart out to God. His book, which is short, it's only three chapters, I encourage you to read it all when you go home tonight. But it kind of kicks off with this unedited moan about the state of the world. Instead of being a mouthpiece for God, Habakkuk, it seems, is mouthing off to God. It's a prayer of protest. It's very honest. It's filled with raw emotion. I tried to kind of reflect a bit of that as I read it. And if nothing else, what Habakkuk teaches us up front is that if we've got a problem with God, about what God is doing or what he's not doing, then the best place to take that problem is straight to God. Don't, don't mouth off to other people. Take it straight to God. That's what Habakkuk did. And some of us I know may feel, hang on a minute, I would feel awkward about doing that. But Habakkuk shows that, that instead of avoiding or denying our frustrations and our disorientation, instead of sweeping our questions onto the carpet, we're far more likely to find help and hope and dialogue and conversation with God. And Habakkuk's not unique in this. There is example after example throughout Scripture of honest, straight-talking conversations between God and some of his most cherished leaders. They queried him. They pleaded with him. Jacob even fought with him. And they spoke candidly, and they often argued their cases. They tried to get their head around us. They tried to understand God's ways, and very often they just could not. And I know I've said it before, but I love the fact that their questions and their doubts and their fears and their misunderstandings and their queries, they're not airbrushed out of Scripture. They're included. And as Chris Candia says, the struggle of faith is cemented into the foundation of biblical Christianity. It is. And if you're here tonight and you're really struggling with aspects of God's character, or aspects of what God is doing in your life or not doing in your life. If you're here tonight and you're struggling with it, then articulate that. 
Speak that, say that, express that, but take it directly to God. The so-called heroes of the faith did exactly that. Amidst their ups and amidst their downs, amidst their expressions of stunning faith and amidst their questions about faith. And a resilient, anti-fragile faith that can handle the unpredictability of God must be an honest faith that has got room to voice off and express doubt and confusion and wonder. And this little short prophecy of Habakkuk's neatly divided into sections. And so it starts, as we've heard, with Habakkuk's first complaint. And then from verse 5 to 11, if you just look at that, God answers him. And then at the end of chapter 1, we find Habakkuk's second complaint. Because there's more questions. He's got more frustrations to offload. And then the bulk of chapter 2 tells us what is God's response to Habakkuk's second complaint. And then the final chapter, chapter 3, records Habakkuk's prayer as he reflects on all that he said to God and all that God has said to him. And it's this kind of to-and-fro structure, this back-and-forward conversation where God doesn't dismiss Habakkuk's complaints, but he interacts with them. And Habakkuk's main problem, if you you can kind of sum it up, it's this. He's bothered by the seeming inactivity of God in the face of unrelenting evil. Why does God, God, why do you put up with it? Why? And why do you make your people put up with it? Why, God, do you let evildoers thrive? And God listens to Habakkuk. And then he assures Habakkuk that he is going to do something. And that's the good news. But what God proposes doing would have totally shocked the prophet. Talk about unpredictable. Look at verses 5 to 7, first chapter again. This is God's response to his first complaint. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Can I say as a slight aside, I have heard those two phrases used in a number of contexts where people are then going to say revival's on its way. Actually, the context of this is judgment's on its way. So we need to be incredibly careful whenever we lift things out of their context. So God says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. And here's the bit that would have shocked. I am raising up the Babylonians. Sorry, God, you're doing what? I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless, that impestious people who sweep across the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. God's up front with Habakkuk about the unexpectedness of what he's going to do. Habakkuk could not have seen this coming. This would have been a massive surprise. And of no doubt, there have been and there will be times in our lives whenever God does something or God will do something that runs completely contrary 
to what we imagine, to what we hope for, or to what we're praying for. And therefore, when that happens, our faith gets rattled. It gets shaken because we simply don't understand. God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this? As I say, I know there are people here and your hearts are heavy with those kind of questions. Why, God? Why this? Why this now? Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar, talks about a three-stage process in the life of faith. He talks about orientation, disorientation, reorientation. I love this. He says, you know, there are times when our faith is securely oriented. And then it gets rocked. It gets rocked by some unexpected, unforeseen, unwelcome turn of events. And our faith becomes painfully disoriented. And as I say, I know there are people here. And I know there are people in our church family. And this is where they're at. Their faith is painfully disoriented. But thirdly and thankfully, he he talks about how it can be reoriented and often in surprising ways. And and I reckon there are many here who can identify with that. Times when our securely oriented faith gets rattled, where we experience a disruptive event or occurrence or dilemma that we never saw coming, and it throws us, and it creates this painful disorientation, and it feels like it's going to wreck our faith. And we all know of people who then drop out. Drop out of church. feel there's no way back. But as you read scripture, you see and you realize that the disruptive events in many people's lives didn't demolish, didn't debilitate their faith. It actually deepened it. Their faith was reoriented. And building an anti-fragile faith doesn't mean finding a way to avoid or to navigate the cha- around the challenges that come our way. But rather, it's in finding a way to see through them to something greater. Here is a great but slightly uncomfortable quote. God deliberately destabilizes and unsettles us as children. Not out of spite with the intention of helping us, but with the intention of helping us to reach a new level of integrity, intimacy, and humility through the process. How do you respond to a quote like that? Habakkuk faces a deeply disruptive episode, a disorientation. But as the story tells us, he ends up stronger as a result of it. He ends up reoriented. And there are three big clues in the story to help us. We're only getting to the three points now. Uh, There are three big clues in the story. No, they're really quick. To kind of help us not only reconcile this paradox about how to follow a God who is consistently unpredictable, but more than that, here are three clues on how to develop an anti-fragile faith that is able to boldly face up to rather than shy away from the disruptive experiences that come crashing into our lives. And the first clue 
points us forward. It, it encourages us to look ahead. You see, because of our limited time-bound vantage point, God appears unpredictable. When in fact, his actions are entirely consistent with his character. The problem is, you see, that we only catch a glimpse. We only see a snapshot of what God is doing. We only comprehend a tiny fragment of the big and the total picture. And therefore, it's hard for, um, for us to understand, God, what are you up to? From what I can see, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And you see, God can zoom in and know every minuscule detail of our daily lives, but we don't have the ability or the luxury to zoom out and see our lives from his eternal perspective. We have a limited outlook. We have a limited viewpoint. And therefore, it's, profound, it's probably no surprise that God surprises us. And whenever we don't know the future, and we don't, but God does. God sees what God is doing. God sees the big picture. God has the eternal perspective. But we don't. And therefore, we've got to be careful about being too judgmental on the present. But what do we do now? As we attempt to gaze ahead, as we attempt to get a big picture view, what do we do now whenever we don't understand? Well, look at God's response and advice to Habakkuk. And this is hard. Here's what God says to Habakkuk. Wait. Wait and see. Wait and trust me. Wait because revelation will come and it will come in time. Let me, let me read that verse from the contemporary English version. And I love this. At the time I have decided my words will come true. You can trust what I say about the future. It may take a long time. But keep on waiting. It will happen. Will happen. All will make sense. But waiting's never easy. It's difficult, especially in a culture of immediacy. But God tells Habakkuk, Habakkuk, play the long game. Look ahead. Look forward. Look to the future. I've got it under control. And in the short term, God knows that Habakkuk is going to struggle with what he's doing. He knows Habakkuk can't understand why God are you using the Babylonians to teach the people of God a lesson. It's going to be unpalatable for Habakkuk. But God promises that one day, someday, Habakkuk, you'll see. You will see what I'm doing. You will see why. So clue one, look forward. Look to the future. Wait and see. And it is hard for us. I recognize that. It really is hard for us. And the second clue is not so much about the future, but it concerns the past. It's about looking back. It's about seeing how God has worked. What God has done. It's about checking out God's track record and reminding ourselves of his character and his power. In Habakkuk's final prayer in chapter 3, we get a glimpse of this when he says this. I have heard of your fame. 
I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. And then what Habakkuk goes on to do is he goes on to list all the things that he remembers about how God has acted in the past. So he recalls the Moses incident. He recalls the Red Sea miracle and so on and so on. And via looking back into history and reminding himself about who God is and what God has done, Habakkuk learns to trust. He learns to say, God, I stand in awe of who you are and what you have done. You are a good God. You are a great God. You are a majestic God. You do have things under control. At that time, people probably didn't understand what was going on. But for us now, as we look back, we can see what you were doing. And this is such an important discipline where you bring to mind how God has proved himself able and faithful in the past. I mean, hindsight is a great thing. And we do that in our lives. And for many of you here who are struggling at the minute, who are feeling your faith is painfully disoriented, you can look back and you know that God has been able and God has been faithful to you in the past. And so reflect on that. Recall that. Remember that. But more than that, this is about becoming more and more literate in the biblical story because for Christians, for us as the people of God, this is our story. This is our family history. We must do what Habakkuk did. We've got to look back, and as a result of looking back and realizing who God is and what God has done, we stand in awe of him. And then our third and final clue on building an anti-fragile faith in a consistently unpredictable God has to do with looking around. How do we see the present? Are we able and are we willing to trust God now? Because this is where Habakkuk came to. As he looked at the present, he reached a place, having looked forward, having looked back, having articulated his concerns and questions and queries to God, he got to a place where he said, you know something, God, I'm going to trust in you. No matter what. Irrespective of my current circumstances, our current circumstances, I'm going to trust you. Yeah, there was a sense in which it felt everything was falling apart. God, it seems, isn't exactly doing anything about it at the moment. In fact, if anything, God only seems to be intensifying the problems. But what Habakkuk discovered is that true worship is about living in the ups and downs of the present. It's about knowing and believing that God is in control, irrespective of our circumstances or how you feel. You see, if our love for God and if our trust in God is dependent on things panning out right now how we want, then God is probably going to disappoint us. And Habakkuk got this. Or he was getting it. And therefore his final prayer is profoundly challenging. 
because it reveals how in the midst of dark times and in the midst of impending disaster, whenever very little seems secure or stable, whenever the future seems unsure and uncertain, Habakkuk is going to hang in there. He's going to trust. He's going to hold on to his faith, no matter what surprises or what shocks God has got in store for him. Habakkuk's prayer at the end of this little prophecy is a model in anti-fragile faith. And if you and I can pray a prayer like this this evening, and it is a huge if, and I'm speaking to myself here, I really am. But if you and I can pray a prayer like this this evening, it will alter everything. I was speaking this week at the the Irish Bible Institute's staff retreat in Drummontine. And whenever I give people the opportunity to kind of share their life verse, if they have one, there was one lady who quoted these words. Plus, I remember, and I don't think they're here, but I remember how Anna and Sam McBride included these verses on their wedding day. And that was brave. Because here's Habakkuk's final prayer. Even though the fig trees have no blossom, and even though there are no grapes in the vine, and even though the olive crop fails, and even if the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. That is a courageous prayer of anti-fragile faith. That is the prayer of someone who recognizes the consistent unpredictability of God, but has learned to look forward, look back, look around. And as a result, he worships And he finds his feet. And he stands firm. It doesn't mean there won't be more questions or more doubts or more angst at times, but it does mean there's trust. And the question I've been asking myself this week as I've been preparing this is, am I able to echo Habakkuk's prayer? Like, Like genuinely, am I able to? Like could I stand up here and say, even though, and then you, you fill in what comes next. Even though what? Everything falls apart around me. Even though I go through this. Even though I have to face that. Am I still going to rejoice in the Lord? Am I? It is my hope and prayer that as we worship a consistently unpredictable God, that we will be people of anti-fragile faith. 